Congratulations on that baby. Well, today we are going to finish up John chapter 3. As you know, we have been in a study of John. And uh, you'll remember that the last time we were here, I, uh, I laid out a very good large piece of your Bible for you when we studied the household of God or the family of God, whichever you want to call it. That's how the Bible calls it in two different places. And I showed you how that there are seven members of God's eternal family that fit into God's eternal plan. And they run in our Bible from Genesis all the way up to Revelation and then on out into eternity. And uh, they make up the family that is built around Jesus Christ and his bride, which is you and me in the church. Because we know that there's going to be a wedding. We saw all the verses on it. And these people are invited to that wedding. And actually, we didn't do this, but you could do this. You probably need to do this at some point. Uh, You could take a study on each one of these, and you could look at where and how each one of them will fit into what uh, and what role they will play in God's eternal government, which is laid out for us in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. These members of God's family are really key to understanding the dispensations in the Bible. And you know, through Bible Institute, we came through that here not too long ago, and we taught you that a while back. And all of this is to, for the purpose of helping you uh, get your Bible to work for you. And uh, it makes the Christian life a lot easier when you let the Bible do the work. And uh, it's a thing where that's the way God intended it. And what we try to do here is when you get saved, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says that now you have laid a foundation. And then we try to build on that foundation uh, layer upon layer to give you and help you understand uh, the Bible. Back in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 13, and in that little section there, it talks about that exactly. It talks about, to whom shall thou teach doctrine? And then he says, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And that's how you do it. And that's how we do it. We take somebody that gets saved, and then we work with them, helping them to, uh, one layer at a time, lay on that foundation everything that God wants them to know. And then last week, which was Easter Sunday, uh, we had a reality check for all of us. And that is the fact that, uh, you know, Christianity has totally been compromised today uh, in a great great way to the point where, you know, we're taking the hallowed things of God, uh, you know, and then turning them into pagan uh, concepts. And if you know your Bible at all, you know this is exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. Uh, under the kings. Back there in 2 Kings 12 comes to mind, I think around verse 18. Um, You know, what happened was that there were special things that God had dedicated to himself. There were holy things, hallowed things that God had dedicated to himself that the nation of Israel was to keep in a special place. And what happened was as the nation of Israel declined and they began to be compromised much like the churches today, what they did was is they began to open up these things and allow the pagan kings to come in. They took some of the stuff and gave it to the pagan kings. And it was really amounted to taking the special, hallowed, holy things that God held dear and wanted for himself and giving it to the world. 
And boy, if there's ever a time when we're guilty of that again today, it would be the day and age that we live in. And, uh, you know, it's exactly what, uh, what has happened then is happening now. And it's hard to believe that God's people would actually fall for it. But, you know, that's the way it has. And it's got the devil's Bible. We've got the devil's music. And now we take the things that are, should be the most special things in our Christian life and connect it to paganism and all the things that go along with it. It always amazed me, and I've said this before, you know, God's people are famous for one error that they do, and we are all guilty to it, of it. Uh, you know, the goal in our life should be is, is do this as little as possible. But we all, when it comes to the Bible, the Bible's absolute. The Bible's fixed. The Bible doesn't adjust itself to society. It demands society adjusts itself to the Bible. The Bible is a fixed book. It's an absolute book. And it isn't something that we decide what part we want to believe and what part we don't. But that's what we do in Christianity today. I see it all the time. I've seen it all my ministry. I've seen people come to the place where they claim to love the Bible. They read the Bible and, you know, and they do. But they pick and choose out of the Bible what they want to do. And uh, you just can't do that. You have to either follow all of it or you don't follow any of it. And it's a thing where that is the, that's a disaster today. And, I, and I, w- I would think that the fact that Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, it tells us, he says, they're blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, he's saying there that he took everything in the Old Testament and he nailed it to his cross. And he took it out of the way that we don't follow it anymore in the New Testament church. Having spoiled um, principalities and powers, that's the devil and his crowd, uh, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Then it says in verse 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to a holiday, a holy day, or the new moon or the Sabbath day, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And uh, then he goes on and says, let no man beguile you in these things. Boy, God's people have been beguiled today, and that's, that's the problem. It really is. And uh, it's a thing where, um, you know, last week we, we wanted to focus on bringing in the reality of where we are really at in the time period that we live in the midst of, as we know, at the Laodicean church period, the last church period before the Lord comes back. And I'll tell you, I have never, never, never seen a Christian world and the unsaved world more compromised in such a mess as it is, it is today. And then, uh, then I, I built last week around uh, the old message, an old throwback message that uh, I preached many, many, many years ago and basically a reality check for all of us on a letter from hell. We are God's people who we, believe, we say we believe in hell, but we never tell anybody about it. We're kind of like Jehovah Witness Christians. They don't believe there's a hell either. And I, and I want to tell you, you know, I know, of, I know a lot of people out there, and I got just email after email, text after text of people out there that, that just really uh, thank me for telling them the truth and all the things that they learned and, and that they never knew those things before. And, you know, I've always said this. I know that in the world and in the Christian world, there's a lot of goofy people out there who buy into everything that goes on. I get that. 
But I want you to also to know that God always had his remnant. And within that crowd, uh, there's plenty of people out there uh, who hold and believe the real truth of a biblical old school mentality that really understand what ministry still should be. And, uh, you know, God keeps bringing them to us and, and us to them through the website and, and everything. You know, they come here and talk to me as visitors and they're looking for, so they're looking for the truth. They're tired of the phoniness and the pretense of Christianity that doesn't work. They're tired of the Madison Avenue three-wing circus that doesn't really accomplish anything. And, uh, you know, I, this is why we, we established the, the Lifeline Ministry, which, you know, for many, many, many years, we had our prayer groups upstairs that met before church, and they served a wonderful purpose. I, 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 but things change. Times change. And when the COVID-19 hit, you know, we no longer could do that. And so instead of just running away from it, we just found an alternative. And in that plan I gave you of four, five, six things that we were going to do, one of them was the Lifeline Ministry. And now that is spread across the country where every week the girls have their groups, the guys have theirs, and they get online and they share things, they work together, they help each other. And, uh, you know, and then we have online the Discipleship One, a young man that I just talked about. Somebody took him already this morning to disciple him. And then pass that Discipleship Two. You know, uh, you know, banding together in these last times. And that's available for anybody that's out there listening to me today or anybody here. We want to be here together to get through everything that we're at right now. And I'll say it again. What we're experiencing right now is nothing to what's coming. And if you don't see that already in the handwriting on the wall, I mean, uh, you're, you're blind. And, uh, you know, and I... I preached last week the lost reality of a place called hell that we fundamentally say we believe it, but we really don't, we don't, we really don't follow it. And I preached out of Luke chapter 16 with the rich man and Lazarus. And, uh, you know, and I, and I, and I talked about how, how incredibly terrible it is to wind up in a place like that when God never intended for any man or woman to go there to begin with. And if a man or a woman winds up in hell and ultimately the lake of fire, it's because they have chosen to be there. So we, we talked about that and we, we kind of uh, just got us all a reality check of where we're really at and what we really need to be focused on. Now today... I'm going to go back to John chapter 3, as I said, and we're going to finish chapter 3 out. And we will deal with, yet again, another issue that we find lacking and, and actually filled with bad teaching today within the church. Oh, I hear this stuff all the time. And today, you know, the New Testament church is filled with endless issues. It really is. I had a guy tell me this week that he knew that, he knew that the the Lord was coming back very soon. And I said, well, yeah, amen, I, I, I get that, I did. And, and uh, yeah, he said, yeah. And so I, I asked him, I said, well, I mean, I believe that, but what brought you to that conclusion? And he said, well, President Trump. And I said, okay, uh, President Trump. And he said, yeah, the Bible says that the Lord's going to come back at the last Trump.
It kind of reminded me years and years and years and years and years and years ago when I was in the Army, I really got sick really bad, and they put me in the hospital for like four days. I had, I had pneumonia. And after about the four days, I started feeling better. You know, I started to get up and, you know, how I am. I got to walk around. So I was walking through this hospital, and I got into this. I found out later it was a psych ward. I didn't know it at the time. So I'm walking around looking at things and checking things out, and I see this Marine standing over here. And, uh, you know, he's 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 big guy. I mean, you know, just a, I'm a, and I, he's, he's got, I thought he, he had his arm up. I thought he was hurt, you know, got wounded in the arm. So I'm talking you know, back there, and I walk up, and I said, hey, Mac, how you doing? You call Marines Mac. You call Army guys Joe. You don't probably need to know that, but in case you ever run into one, Marines are Mac, Armies are Joes, okay? And so he had his arm up here like that, and I said, hey, Mac, I said, how's, how's it going? He didn't say anything. And I said, I said, uh, how's the arm? Did you get hit? Were you wounded in the arm? He looks down at me, and he says, can't you see my giraffe? I said, yeah, that is a nice one. <clears throat> I was out of there, man. I got the same feeling with this guy about the last Trump. You know, it's just creeping her nuts today. Just nuts today. And, uh, you know, it's a thing where, um, what are you going to do? I, 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 the church is so filled with issues today. And everybody, it's like the book of Judges. And I say this all the time. There is no king in Israel and everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And the church today is filled with endless issues. And two great examples of this, if you want to see this at work in the Bible, will be the books of First and Second Corinthians. Uh, when I used to teach pastors how to minister, I used to use these two books. I used to take 1 Corinthians, and in the book of 1 Corinthians, we know that there's 16 chapters, I believe, and we know that in that book, they have multiple problems and issues within the chapter. I mean, these people are fighting over who baptized who. They're fighting over who won who to Christ, and obviously, a tang, uh, uh, you know, putting some significance, well, if you were, if you were sit, won to Christ by the pastor, and you were won to Christ by Ralph Schwartz, who's a nobody, that you're more special because of who won you to Christ. I mean, it's unbelievable. Chapter by chapter. They're messed up on the resurrection. They're messed up on the Lord's Supper. The women have taken over the church. I mean, it is an absolute disaster. They're messed up on tongues. They're messed up on everything. And in that, in that book, Paul takes them, multiple things within each chapter, and tries to get them straightened out. They are messed up on every aspect of New Testament Christianity. And he tells them in chapter 3, verse 1, you guys are a bunch of babies. You guys don't know anything about the Bible. You're, you're operating like a bunch of little babies. And he says, yet you're walking around as cardinal men. He says, you got, you got milk of the Bible, but there's no meat here in the Bible. And boy, if that isn't a picture of the church today in the 20 and 21st century. God's people know nothing about the Bible today. What's more important, they don't care anything about the Bible today. They're content to go to church, do something for God, or not go to church and do nothing for God, but they don't want to commit themselves to the greatest book this world has ever seen that has the answers to every issue that you're going to face in life. It's crazy. And then... He wrote them 2 Corinthians. 
And in the second letter to this church, someplace along the line, the church at Corinth got it together. They got themselves straightened out. And then he writes them a second letter. And in the second letter, chapter by chapter, he gives them the information how to operate a New Testament biblical ministry. And just like in 1 Corinthians when he deals with multiple issues that they're messed up on, in 2 Corinthians he gives us multiple issues that we, if we're going to have a biblical-based New Testament church, it become for us our handbook for ministry. Where Romans for us is the handbook of what we believe, 2 Corinthians is the handbook of how we do it. And uh, it's, a, it, it's a great contrast between two churches. Back uh, Way back in the 1800s, Charles Dickens wrote a book called A Tale of Two Cities. He really didn't have that right because he obviously never wrote the book of Acts because if he had read the book of Acts, he'd have, he'd have wrote about the tale of three cities because that's what the book of Acts is. But if I was to write a book today, I would write about a tale of two churches. The church at Corinth, First Corinthians, a tale of two books, the First Corinthians and Second Corinthians. The first one, they are messed up in everything they do, and the second one, he does everything and tells them what to do right. And that's where you have to really form the base foundation of your ministry if you're going to do it biblically. Now, let's read our verse in John chapter 3 today, and this is a great way to end chapter 3. So let's read it together here, starting in verse 31. And he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthy and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath, se- uh, uh, and what he hath seen and heard, uh, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal uh, that God is true." For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Now that's very important. I want you to see that. Verse 35, another important verse. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Let's pray. Father, Help us today to take the Word of God and to glean from it, to grow from it. We thank you for these good people that are here today. We pray, Father, that you'll instruct us, that you'll rebuke us, that you'll give to us and commit to us the truth of your Word. We do love you. We thank you for all you do for us now. In Jesus' name, for our sake we ask it. Amen. Now, this is a good chapter because I like it because it ends where it starts. Christ's coming during uh, uh, dying for you and for me. One for Israel, Dr. Lee, and two, you as me as the Gentiles. And I want to focus on just two verses today, which I think says it all for where we're at. And that'll be verse 34 and 35. And these two verses will really be a help to us in our growth process as Christians. Now, It says in verse 34, For whom God has sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Now that verse says that when Christ had the full measure of God's Spirit, when he came, God gave him the full measure of his Spirit. 
Now, what I'm about to show you will completely explain, hopefully for you, God's systematic system of getting you to a spiritual place in your life where God can do something with you. And I'm about to show you will completely explain God's system for you and your spiritual growth. And if you leave, you leave here today, if you listen and pay attention and you have, you know, brain cells above subplant life, you will leave here today totally understanding why some of God's people get it and some don't. The Christian life, men, pastors, people like to make it as hard as it can be. In reality, the Christian life is very simple. And when you get saved, I want you to know that you too, just like Jesus Christ, you got all of the Holy Spirit of God without measure. When you got when he came down here, God gave him the Spirit of God without measure, and the day you got saved, the Holy Spirit of God took up residency inside your soul, and you were sealed under the day of redemption. And just like Jesus Christ, you now have all of the Holy Spirit of God that you're ever going to get. Now, I know the charismatic crowd and a bunch of people out there uh, teach that when you got saved, you didn't get all of the Holy Spirit of God. I've never read a book or heard anybody preach on what percentage of it you did get. But they teach that you didn't get all the Holy Spirit of God. So later on, you have to get baptized in the name of the Holy Ghost. And then the rest of the Spirit of God falls on you, and now you're ready to go. And of course... Uh, you know, that uh, we know that is not true. And because if the same crowd then believes that if you screw up down the line someplace that you can lose it. And we know that's not true. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, and Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, it says that once you're saved, you are complete in Him. You got all the Holy Spirit of God that there is. And you were sealed with it, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And you, just like Christ, got every ounce of the Holy Spirit of God. Here's the problem. You get all of God's Holy Spirit you can when you got saved. But the problem is God's Holy Spirit didn't get all of you when you got saved. You get all of Him, but He didn't get all of you. We still have issues in our life that we got to work through and we got to deal with. Now, follow me. There's four aspects of our, one, salvation of God, and then two, our relationship and growth with God. I want you to get these. The first one is the Spirit of God. Now, the Bible already tells us in verse 34 that you got all of the Spirit of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is indwelling in you, and just as Christ got the Holy Spirit of God without measure, so did you. Now, the second aspect that you have to have is faith. Now, here's where it differs from the Holy Spirit of God. You got all the Holy Spirit of God that God had when you got saved, but you didn't get all of the faith. Romans 12, 3 says that you got at salvation faith by a measure. Faith by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In other words, you got just enough faith at salvation to believe what God told you, but we'll get to that in a moment. And then the third aspect is grace. And we're told in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, that at the time of salvation, 
you got a measure of grace. You got all of the Holy Spirit of God, but when it came to faith, he gave you that by measure. When it came to grace, for you having grace, he gave it to you by measure. And then the fourth element, of course, is the Word of God. Now, let me show you how it works. Number one, you got all of the Holy Spirit of God the moment, instant moment you got saved, and you got that without measure. But here's the problem. You don't know how to use it. The moment you got saved, I know you don't know this, Psalms 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all of the host of them by the breath of his mouth, where he spake, it was done, he commanded, and it stood still. At the instant you got saved, you have all of the Holy Spirit of God and everything you need that God used to create the heavens, the universe, the planets, the galaxies, and everything. That same power that he had is now in you. Problem is, you don't know how to use it. So Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For I say, though the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You see, when you got saved and I got saved, he gave us just enough faith to see that we needed a Savior. He gave you and me just enough just enough. Uh, to see that what we needed, just enough faith to be able to trust him as our own personal savior. Faith will always be in relationship to what you do for God. You walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. So at the moment you got saved, he gave you a measure of faith to trust him, but you don't have the faith yet to go to the mission field. You don't have the faith yet to get over some of the issues you're struggling with in your life. You don't have the faith to be able to trust him in, uh, in, uh, in, in things yet. And that's why so many people get saved. And then they spend the rest of their life worrying about things. Now, what I'm about to give you is the absolute reason why some of God's people will make it and some of them won't. Then the third thing, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, not only when you got saved did you get just enough faith to believe what you needed to believe to get saved, but God gave you grace by measure. For us, grace will be the ability to use the Word of God. I'm not talking about God's grace in, uh, to you and me being by measure to, to get saved. I'm not, I'm talking about after you get saved, you have grace. But just like you can't step out by faith and do some great thing the day after you get saved, you don't have the, you don't have the great, because grace will be the, your ability to use the word of God that God has given you through faith. So at salvation, you get all of the Holy Spirit of God, but grace and faith only by measure. And now you have to develop it. This is totally foreign to what you hear today. All of my life, I've seen young men and young ladies come down and get saved. Families get saved. They get up off their knees and a pastor slaps them on the back and then puts them to work in a bus ministry, puts them to work here, puts them in a Sunday school class, puts them here, and then wonders why a year from then you don't see them at church anymore and then have the audacity to blame them for not being spiritual. 
And uh, that's just the way it works today. I'm sorry. I've been in it for almost 50 years now. Let me tell you something. For you to develop faith and grace in your life, which you get by measure, you got all the Holy Spirit of God there is, but he gave you grace and faith by measure, and now it's up to you to develop that. Now, there's only three, there's three things that you must have in your life to be able to do that. First of all, you have to have, obviously, the Holy Spirit of God. You got that without measure. Second of all, you have to have the Word of God. And thirdly, you have to have God's program in your life, and that'll be a New Testament local church. I don't know, I've told you this many, many times, I don't know if you all remember it or not, but when Jesus Christ went back to heaven in the early part of the book of Acts, did you ever notice how he replaced himself with three things? First of all, the Holy Spirit of God came at the day of Pentecost, so the Holy Spirit of God was the first part of replacing himself. The second thing was the Word of God. And by 90 AD, when John writes the final chapters of the book of Revelation, you now have the complete Word of God. And the third thing was the local New Testament church. Because God's got a job for you to do, and God's got a, got a way to get you to the place that He wants to do it. Here's how it works. The Holy Spirit of God, you got that at full measure. And as you develop grace and you develop faith, that Holy Spirit of God becomes the guide through your life. The second thing He gives you is the Word of God, and He's got a plan that He wants you to accomplish, and He's got something that He wants you to do and someplace He wants you to go. So the Word of God becomes the roadmap that shows you all of those things. And then you have, to get there, you have to have a vehicle. And the vehicle that God gives you that will develop faith and grace in your life is the local New Testament church that will get you to the place God wants you to be. You develop faith and grace as you grow, and you grow in these three areas. You put these three areas in your life and let God work through these three areas, and you'll see some real changes in your life. Now, what I'm about to show you will be the number one reason why people never grow spiritually. And there's fundamentally two reasons for it. The first one will just get out of the way, and that's because they've never truly been saved. And I know that that sounds, you know, hard for some people to accept, but if you look around you today and understand the Christianity that we have, and I say this all the time, you know, it, it, it worries me today about so many people who claim to be saved but you'll never see any change in their life. And, and we live in a Christian world now where people think that's all right. Now, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I'm old school. I mean, when I grew up and when I came through this thing, you know, early on, Christians were different than the world. I'm sorry. Christians were different than the world. And, and Christianity still had some standards, and it was kind of separated from the world. <laughs> That's all gone today. You, cannot, you can walk into the average church, and if you close your eyes, you think you're in a nightclub someplace. We've lost that separation. God's people have lost any kind of moral compass in their life. 
I mean, I see it all the time, and I don't ever say much about it because, you know, it's none of my business. But I just scratch my head, and I just, you know, I, I, I look at things, and, you know, I, I, you know, you find situations where, you know, back in my day, if a parents had a, a brother, a boy or a girl that got pregnant outside of marriage, I mean, it was something that you had to deal with, but they saw they saw the terribleness of that. I mean, one of the institutions, and I know this is probably way much too Bible for you, one of the institutions that God put together was marriage. And I know, we live in a Christian world today that we think having children or living together or having children outside of marriage is an okay thing. And I'm here to tell you that God's standard hasn't changed on it. And it's a thing where you see people all the time, you know, the boy or the girl. I had, you know, I've had my share of this over the years. And I just, I just scratch my head sometimes. And, and, and you know, I, I just, I know a, a one family that's no longer around here. And, you know, I think their boy had two or three illegitimate kids. Never got married to any of them. And the mom would post on Facebook about how wonderful it was that she was going to be a grandmother again. Are you kidding me? But that's where we're at today. Christianity is so far out of reality of the truth that there is no moral compass anymore. Your boy or your girl gets somebody pregnant and you have an illegitimate baby and it's a time for celebration. Are you kidding me? What planet did you land on? Did that Mars helicopter hit you in the head? That's where we're at today. And we've come to the point today in Christianity where we have no morals. We have no line of truth. And the first thing you have to ask yourself is, that is a person really saved that can't grow? I mean, we know from our model in, in, in with the 12 apostles, we've talked about a couple of weeks ago, that the 12 apostles, one of them was a phony. And if you think for a minute that the devil doesn't use satanic implants in the church, you're out of your mind. It's like, oh yeah, the devil forgot to do that. No, you're just too stupid to know that he does do that. I've had people come into this church, any church that I've been associated with over the years. Terry knows back there. He's been with me probably as long as any of it. Terry, you, know, you had your own church. You know it's true. Sean, you know it's true. You had your own church. People will come in and they come in here, you know, and they'll, they'll just kind of, kind of fit in. And, and suddenly the next thing you know, they've got some crazy stuff they're teaching or something off the wall. And, you know, they start getting a little group together. And I, you know how it works, man. I've seen it. And it's a thing where, you know, I, I've said this before. I just, I worry about the fact that so many people today claim to be a Christian, but there's no real change in their life. I'm, folks, I know this is not popular. I'm telling you. If you're truly saved, the Bible says... I keep hating bringing up the Bible. But I thought that's what we came here for this morning. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? 
new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. How does a person claim to be, and never for a split second do the old things pass away? That bothers me. I'm not making a judgment on somebody. That bothers me. I will tell you this. I wouldn't want to take that chance. But that's their deal. And there's three or four characteristics of a satanic implant. And if you, you, if you don't see it and understand it, the first thing, there's no real evidence of their salvation. And nothing. They're not involved in spiritual things. When they come to this church or some other church, you know what, while we're having church service, they're upstairs talking about whatever they're talking about. Some of them haven't been in church forever. They just don't want to sit under the preaching of the Word of God. I want to tell you something. If you're, if you're saved here this morning, you ought to love preaching. It's the reason you came this morning. If you want to talk about your bass boat or your motorcycle or your trailer or whatever, then, you know, go to, a, go to an RV show. But when you come here on Sunday morning, I, I don't know where I even got this from. I would think it would be because you just want to hear the Word of God preached to you. Because you know as well as I know about me and you too, we got things we need to fix. One of the first things you're going to do, you're going to find out when you buy a house. You kids bought a house yet? Yeah, well, you will. You, got a, you bought a house, didn't you? Who else has just recently bought a house? There's people. Who else bought? You just bought a house? Good. Alex, are you still homeless or did you buy a house? You're still homeless. Okay. Well, okay. well I'm going to tell you, you. You bought a house not too long ago. I'm going to tell you, the first thing you're going to learn about the house, you get into this house and they say, this is great, this is wonderful. Oh, I just think this is beautiful. Well, this is my dream house. And you know what? Six weeks later, the air conditioning goes out. Four weeks after that, the dishwasher goes on the blink. If you're lucky, you'll get the demon-possessed one like we had that in the middle of the night would just turn itself on. Your ministry experience will never be complete till you exercise a washing machine. I want you to know. It was a dryer, wasn't it? It was a dryer, yeah. yeah. I did them both. I covered the bases. But anyway. And we know the one and the weird thing? The very next day, once I cast those demons out, the very next day my neighbor told me that my washing machine stopped last night. <laughs> just, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, but, you know, the first thing you're going to find out about the new house you bought it begins to deteriorate. And from that point on, you're happy, but 10 years later, you've got to put a new roof on. Every five or six years, you've got to repaint it. You get wood rot. You get termites. You get mice. I had a bat in my house not too long ago, but I said, oh, no, no, no. You get bats in your house, tennis racket is the way to do it. I almost took a picture when I whacked that sucker. His little teeth were stuck through the wires of that, you know, anyway. But it's the, th- the thing you're going to learn is when you get a new house, it doesn't stay new. You have to be in a constant state of fixing it up and repairing. You say, where are you going with this? When you got your new house the day you got saved, you're in a constant state of repair. There's things you've got to fix this morning. Maybe you got them already fixed walking down the steps. I don't know. Maybe you get them fixed somewhere in the process. Maybe get them fixed on the way out. But every one of us have things that are dilapidated in our lives today. Preaching is supposed to fix that. So you see that there's no real evidence in their life. 
then you'll find that they constantly, just constantly, are trying to destroy other people with what they say. And then the third thing is, this is the one, boy, they're, they're like Satan's secret service. He just church hops them from one church to the other, and wherever they go, they cause problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to wonder about that. Then the second thing, and this is where, where most of us are dealing with today, is the fact that, that they are saved, but they never allow grace and faith to be developed into a full measure on equal par with the Holy Spirit of God. So when you get saved, you just got enough faith and grace to get saved. You're not ready for the mission field yet. You can't trust God if you lose your job the next day. You fall apart. You can't come to the place yet where you say, well, you know what? God giveth, God taketh away. You know, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's going to supply all my... You're not there yet. You don't have enough faith in God to claim that. You don't have enough grace in God to believe that. But you've got enough to get saved. But you're not ready for ministry yet. You're certainly not ready to pastor or disciple somebody yet. There has to be a process. Enter your New Testament local church. God's only institution in the New Testament for His people to be involved in and everything has to run through. You see, God has a process within this structure to develop your grace and your faith. And as I said earlier, God instituted just three institutions. One of them is civil government. One of them is marriage. And you young couples now know that marriage is an institution. Never mind. It was a joke. You'll get it about 3 o'clock this afternoon. You're happy being married, aren't you? You like being institutionalized, correct? Okay, then you're good, Dad. Sorry I even brought it up. But anyway... Marriage, civil government, and the New Testament local church. There's only three. You know, and you, you want to, from the Bible, you want to learn the really good examples of that. Because they're so important. You hear me talk a lot about Abraham's life. And I, and I try to steer you to great places where you can, you know, you can, you can, you can see things and learn from them. What a great example and in sample. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He is for all of us. And for all of us, his life is just a simple study of where your life started and where it should end. Unfortunately for us, in most cases, it never gets there. But he is the perfect poster child for that. In Genesis chapter 15, he gets God's righteousness. He gets saved. Not like you and me, but he gets saved. And then what you find is he allows God. He he doesn't live a perfect life. He does a lot of stupid things, just like you and me. But what he does do is what we need to do, and he allows God to develop his faith and grace. And where in Genesis chapter 15, he just had enough faith to believe God, what God said about the seed and the stars of heaven, He comes to the place in his life where he becomes only one of two men in the Bible who the Bible claims is God's friend and completely understands what sacrifice really means. And by the time he gets to Genesis chapter 22, when he offers up Isaac, his faith and his grace has now matched what God has given him. 
And what God did in his life is what God wants to do in each one of our lives. He wants to get us saved, lay that foundation, and then through the New Testament church and the process, he wants to take that measure of grace and develop it. And those two, faith and grace will go hand in hand in your spiritual development through, again, your local New Testament church. Every pastor of every church, I don't care if he claims to be a Bible-believing church, every pastor should have a plan. He should have a biblical process that everybody that comes, now he's not going to get everybody just like I don't get everybody, but everybody needs to have the opportunity to develop those two areas in their lives. You get the Spirit of God <coughs> without measure, but God just gave you enough grace and faith for you to get saved. Now it's up to you to do something with that. Because God has a plan for your life. And how do you do it? I know most preachers think that you just keep going to church, you tithe, you know, come Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday night, do everything the church tells you to do. And one night after about 10 years, while you're sleeping at night, the angels from heaven, your name will come up on the big clipboard and they'll roll the roof back and God will just back the big dump truck up there and sprinkle spiritual maturity all down over you and you'll wake up the next morning and there you are. It doesn't work that way. This is why some of God's people have been saved 5, 10, 15, 20 years. They're no farther along than the day they got saved. And they're not bad people. Uh, please, hear me. They're not bad people. They're not drug addicts. They're not selling drugs. They're not, they're not, they're not, they're, they're, they're good people. They just have come to the place in their life where they, for whatever reason, don't want to develop those two areas. So they never grow. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity doesn't just come because you're saved. He, he gave you <coughs> all of the Holy Spirit of God. What more do you want? Then he gave you faith and grace by measure, and he said, okay, you develop that. Now here, years and years ago, I figured that one out. I mean, there's a lot of stupid stuff that I don't get and understand, but I'll tell you when that was an easy one for me. I mean, here, you get saved, you want to begin that process, discipleship one. The basic lessons, the 15, 16 basic lessons of, of fundamentally what the Christian life in a fundamental way is all about. You, you get through that, and I'm telling you, that will, that will develop your senses. It'll develop the grace and the faith. And by the time you get through that, you'll have, a, you'll have a better understanding and you'll be moving in the right direction. And then for those that want it, discipleship too. It's the next level. We have another process called the six or seven things that changed about you the day you got saved. Boy, that'll really add some meat to the bones, boy. That'll really put it in place for you. Years ago, when I studied the, started the discipleship lessons and I developed them, I just didn't do it so I could have 15 or 16 basic lessons. I picked those lessons based on what I thought a young Christian should know. But as I've said many, many times, I could pick any 16 lessons. It was the goal behind it. And I'll tell you right now, this is the problem with most pastors. They meet their people on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and Sunday night, teach them the Bible. But you know what the problem is? They don't have any goals for them. They don't have a process. That when you look at that crowd, in his mind, he's saying, here's what I want to accomplish with those who will let me do it. 
He just up there. He looks at you as cattle. He looks at you as you're going to pay the bills, pay his salary. You know, he looks at you as we're glad you're here. And, you know, but he doesn't ever think about where you, he's glad you're here, but he's not concerned of where you're at. He has no process to help you because he has no plan for himself. He has nothing going for himself. He gets up every morning. You know, he, that's why these guys, when they hit 60, 65, they all retire to the dinosaur graveyard down in Florida or the golf course. They actually think they put their dues in by being a pastor. You know what? The way you pastored, you should have retired at 20. Let somebody else get in there because you had no plan for them. You looked at them as sheep, but you were a terrible shepherd. You looked at them as people that came to your church that they were going to give you something for the church, but you never one time stopped and considered what you needed to give them back. You never saw your people as they, they don't come to church to do something for you. They come to church so you can do something for them. You were God's structure to help them develop those two areas in their life to bring it up to speed with the full measure of the Holy Spirit of God. And when you don't do that, this is why... Churches are filled with baby Christians like the church at Corinth. And I realize that when we disciple somebody here that I have four goals. First of all, obviously, I want to establish you in the Bible. Certainly. Second, I want to establish you within the church. Get your feet on the ground. Start to understand. And then I want to establish you with other people. But then the last one is I want to establish you in the ministry. That's why the way we're doing it now You'll take somebody, you'll disciple them, and then they'll disciple somebody next round, and you'll help them, and you'll give them some lessons to do. That's what you do. Then on top of that, I, I saw that you needed more than that. So, you know, we have the people ministry, 80 or 90 people that have committed to really work with me in ministry, and everything we do run through the people ministry. Then I saw another need, and that was the Bible Institute, Bringing you young men and young ladies and moms and dads and couples up to the level of understanding and how to use the scriptures. And then add to that here a little, there a little, you know, line upon line. Add to that Sunday morning, Thursday night, all the one-on-one time that you need. And again, you see the contrast between the church at Corinth and 1 Corinthians where there were a bunch of babies And then the contrast of 2 Corinthians where they are now matured for ministry and he can teach them on a level where they can really do something with it. And and that's my goal, really. There it is. I just said it. As soon as I say this, we're going to go home. That's my goal. I want to teach you to be able to use the Word of God on the right level. I want you to be able to take it and use it and get everything God has for you. That's my goal. Now, I realize as far as I'm standing here, not everybody wants that. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means that I'd lose 20, 30 pounds because when you're naked at the judgment seat of Christ, you want to look at the best you can. But that's my advice to you. But you're not a bad person. I'm not mad at you. It's one of those things where this is what Paul was talking about in Hebrews chapter 6 or chapter 5 when he said in verses 12 through 14, he had the same problem. He, he dealt with people. Human nature never changes. And he told them in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 14, here's what he said. For when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. He's saying, 
you guys ought to be far enough along now. You've been saved, what, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years? Why do we have to go back and begin to teach you the same basic principles? Thursday night, Caleb asked a question about uh, uh, the two Gospels, John, John there, and I, I looked at that and, and, and gave it, uh, what, what the, I think, and then Sam uh, raised his hand and, and said, and brought my attention to the paragraph mark. And I told Sam this morning, I went home and looked at it, Sam had it right on the money. I missed the paragraph mark. And the paragraph mark puts the whole thing in, I'll, I'll explain it Thursday night. Paragraph mark puts the whole thing in perspective, see? Now, Sam, the day you got saved, you didn't see that, did you? Probably the second day either. You saw it now. You see, that's what happens. And he's saying there, why do we have to begin to teach you the basic fundamental principles all over again? And he says, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word. Now, I want you to hear that. If you're stuck with the basic fundamental milk of the Bible, then you're unskillful in the word. That's not my word. That's his. You say, well, I'm really offended. Get a Zacto cutter and cut that out. For he is a babe. But strong meat belong to them who are full of age, even by who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know what developing grace and faith does in your life? It exercises you. It gives you discernment. You already got the full measure of the Holy Spirit of God, but it gave you grace and faith by measure, and you now have to develop it up to the other full measure. And you do that by getting into a New Testament local church, getting what they have for you, starting with the basics, and let that church help develop those two areas of your life. Now that's what churches are supposed to do. That's what this church does. It does two basic fundamental things. We'll grow you in faith and we'll grow you in grace. We'll take the measure of grace that you got at salvation and develop it into all God wants you to be. And in time, your, your, your fullness of grace and faith will mature you uh, up to the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God, and then you're ready for God to do something with you. I mean, you're even ready before that, but I mean, that should be your goal. Matthew chapter 25, we see a good example of this, and I know this is dealing with Israel, and not really the church, but the, the example, the principle's the same. <clears throat> you have the parable of the talents. He says, I came down and I gave one guy five, and I gave another guy two, and then I won. Then when I come back, I see the guy that had five, and he, he invested it and developed it, and he brought back ten. Good deal. The other guy brought two. He doubled his, invested it, and brought back four. And then the guy gave one. He just buried his and didn't do anything with it. There's a lot of God's people who have buried the grace and the faith that God gave you by measure, and you've done nothing with it. And I'm just telling you, <clears throat> not a bad person. <clears throat> I, I don't know why. You would do something like that. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> but again, we live in a Christianity today where we all like to pick and choose. Now, I don't know about you, but my side of human nature is just like yours, and we always try to take the easiest path, don't we? If we got to climb a 40-foot wall to get up into a house or we can just kick down the back door, which are we going to do? We're going to kick down the back door. And God's people forever, when it comes to 
getting involved in a church, getting involved in the Bible, and really disciplining yourself to learning. You see, in Christianity, there's so many cheap shots you can take that <clears throat> give the appearance. You can get in ministry, you can do things without really knowing anything about the Bible, and you can get away with it for a while till you get to the place where <clears throat> God sets you up with it. But that's, that's just where we're at. Now look at verse 35. <clears throat> it says, The Father loveth the Son. Now that, that's Christ. And hath given all things into His hands. Now that's true of Christ, but I want you to know it's also true of you. Because you've got the same measure of Holy Spirit of God fullness that He got. So just as he put all things into Christ's hand to do the work, he's put all things into your hands. You just don't know it yet. And when you get saved, God gave you all of the Holy Spirit of God and put all things into your hands, and now you have the exact same power inside you today that Jesus Christ had in him. You just don't recognize it yet. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, as I said, for, him, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And that's what you got. You got inside you this morning, if you're truly saved, you have, the, you have the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then it says in verse 10, and that's because you're complete in Him now, which is the head of all principalities and power. You got it all. You got it all. You just don't recognize it at the time of salvation. And some of you, unfortunately, don't even recognize it today. And you've been saved for years. But as you get developed in faith and grace, in time, you'll understand it. We talk a lot about Philippians 1, 6 here, which says, He hath begun a good work in you and perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. And that is so true. And God wanted for you, we've talked about this many, many times, God wants for you and for me to finish that work that God started and then God took him back to heaven, his son, and then he saved you and me to finish the work that he started. And he gave you and I the full measure of the Spirit, but he knew that he just couldn't make us clones 100%, so he gave us grace and faith by measure, and then you have to develop it because through that development is where you really learn to have a relationship with Christ. He's put all things into your hands. And I'm going to tell you right now, folks, nothing will stop you except yourself. The devil won't cancel you out. The world won't cancel you out. A bogus preacher won't cancel you out. A bad church won't cancel you out. You'll cancel yourself out by lining yourself up to that kind of stuff which got one goal, that is to take you out of this fight. Old Rob up in Lincoln said something in his devotion a couple of weeks ago that I, uh, Carolyn told me about that I thought was an incredible thing. He says, most of God's people think that, that we're on a cruise ship, the love boat. God's people need to realize that we're on a battleship, sailing in uncharted waters, unfriendly waters. Most of God's people are looking for that little midget, the plane, the plane, shoot that sucker down. Oh, he wasn't on the love boat, was he? <laughs> he was on the island that they dropped the atom bomb on and killed him. But anyway, we're in a war. And God is counting on us. That, that sounds, so, sounds so terrible. 
God counting on. I tell God all the time, and God, if you're counting on me, man, we're in bad shape. But he is. He's counting on every one of us. That's why he saved us. And you see, we look at ourselves as we should, how unworthy we are. And that's great. But God realized that no matter how rotten we are and how goofy we are and how stupid we are, if he gave us the full measure of the Holy Spirit of God and then we developed grace and faith, we could get something done for him. But we won't do it. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, and this is the, these are the four things that come out of developing grace and faith to the point of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. I talk that God's people in the ministry have to be adaptable to everything because things change. They have to be flexible. You have to be able to be bent but never break. You have to be compatible. You have to get along with people that you may not, you know, in a world situation may not like. You have to be durable because you're going to get run over six and seven times a day. And all this comes through the commitment to God's structure of the New Testament local church. That you submit yourself to a structure that God institutionalized to take the grace and the faith that he gave you by measure and through the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God in this New Testament local church develop that to the point where he can do all things with all things that he's put into your hands. I mean, that's just the way it works. Adaptability, flexibility, compatibility, and durability is what got us through the coronavirus, if we're through it yet. Where everybody else was running to hide and hiding under the rocks and churches, you know, were, were shutting their doors and afraid to get that. We just, we realized that there's things that we had to do and we realized that there's cautions that we had to take but we also realized that it was probably one of the greatest opportunities that we could have. You either see opposition as opposition or you see opposition as opportunity, and they both start with O, but you get to decide. You know what determines which, how you see it? Grace and faith. Grace and faith. Hot people, when the coronavirus hit, had been with me for 30, 40 years, and boy, I'll tell you what, they headed for the bushes like a rabbit shot at by a, by a, a hunter that couldn't hit anything. That's just the way that it is. And I, you know what? I, may, I told you publicly, I ain't going anywhere. We are going to find a way through this, and we're going to find that God is going to, the same God that gave us us, the Holy Spirit of God, give us enough grace and faith to trust Him through this, and we'll see what God does. And you know what? And here we are. And we are reaching more people now than we've reached before. But if we'd have folded up like everybody else and just ran for the bushes, you know, then that, that's where we would still be. But that's not what God called us to do. And I, I must just tell you this, and I told you this either Thursday night or a couple of weeks ago, the coronavirus is just a warm-up for what's coming. I mean, if you can't see the handwriting on the wall, you're blind. It is absolutely, this country, I told you way before it happened, this country's done. And you ain't seen nothing yet. And it's a thing where you are quickly going to become the enemy if you believe that Bible is the Word of God. Enter into and welcome to, ladies and gentlemen, the new dark ages. In the dark ages, they were persecuted because they had that book and they wanted to take a stand in a world that wanted to destroy them. And you are living in the same kind of world that they were and you have a book that you're going to stand on 
and you are going to pay a price for it. This thing is just going to go up level on level on level. God's people just don't see it. It's plain and simple. And I say all this to, tell, to say this to you. Never let anybody pull you out of your local church for anything. You find all these people that get all these goofy ministries going, you know, and they have nothing to do with the church. They're not run by the church. They're not accountable. You know, you know what I've learned about myself, and it's also true of you? None of us can trust ourselves when it comes to doing something for God. None of us can. That old nature will always have us take the shortcut. We'll do it every time. And so you know what God did? God gave us a structure that keeps us between the white lines. And we can't fudge in it. We have to do what it says we have to do. And if we don't, then it becomes very obvious we don't. And that's the way it's supposed to be. God's structure is that everything you do needs to be run through a New Testament local church. And you'll find people out there that get out there on their own deal because they don't want to get committed. They, they use the church to get things and then they go do their own thing. You don't want any part of that. You want to come to the place where you realize that there is no value in that. And uh, it, it's a, it, it's a terrible, terrible situation that goes on all the time. It's plain and simple. It's never right to do wrong to get the chance to do right. If it isn't in the local church, I ain't interested in it. It has to run through God's structure. Otherwise, it winds up being corrupted. You know why? Because you can't trust yourself with it. Any more than I can trust myself with something. So you know what I do? Put it right here. You know what you need to do? You put it right here. And if it ain't right here, then it ain't anywhere. And I'm just telling you, growing in grace and faith has to go through God's structure. And it's just that simple. Now, the next thing. Now that we understand all of this, we can see the heresy taught today that exists on spiritual gifts. Uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's humble. It's like I said, the church has got so many issues today. Uh, and the teaching on spiritual gifts is not even remotely connected uh, uh, to the Bible. I mean, uh, and, and the standard teaching is, and you, you, I'm sure you've heard this. I've heard this all my life. Standing teacher is by the big guys, you know, that everybody looks to. Uh, the standard teaching is that you have one major spiritual gift and you have secondary spiritual gifts. And you need to find out what that main spiritual gift is for you to really be used with God. So, so they developed a number of years ago the spiritual gift test. And there were actually churches that, uh, that had their people take this spiritual gift. They'd bring in this clown from somebody who had spiritual gifts upside down, and he'd come in there, and he'd put it, and he'd say, now, we're, I'm going to help you define your spiritual gift, so we're going to take the spiritual gift test. And when you answered all these questions, you know, what your favorite color was, you know, when you answered all these questions, then you could seduce, yeah, seduce is the word, you could be seduced then into thinking that uh, my spiritual gift. I had one guy tell me one time, he said, I took the spiritual gift test this weekend. Our church did it. And I said, wow, that's really good. He says, yes, I, I found out what my spiritual gift, my major spiritual gift is. I says, what is that? He says, I have the gift of humility. <laughs> I said, you had the gift of humility. <laughs> 
you ain't got it anymore. You know how stupid that is? I, I mean, I, I can't even tell you how ridiculously stupid that is. Now, if, if, if you want to study spiritual gifts, my, and we're not going to get into it today, but my advice to you would be to take 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Those are the three definitive chapters on spiritual gifts in your Bible. And you will find that spiritual gifts fall into three categories. And I've never met hardly anybody in my life that could ever separate those three categories. They run them all together and then they look like idiots because they are idiots. First of all, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, you have spiritual gifts of the office of the ministry. Second thing, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 16, you have spiritual gifts, uh, sign gifts given to the apostles. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, you're going to find that you have gifts of power that are given to people to do the work of God. And most of God's people, they can never separate those three out, so they don't even have a clue. They don't even know where to go to look for it. Now, here's the heresy. Oh, I love this. If you only have one main spiritual gift and then everything else is secondary or third dairy or fourth dairy or whatever the case may be, let me ask you a question. What was Jesus Christ's main spiritual gift? I mean, the Bible says that he got the Spirit of God without measure and then the Bible had the audacity to say to us that God put all things in his hands. You know what he had? He had everything that you got. You got everything that he had. You know why they try to limit you? That's a playbook. That's a play right out of the devil's playbook. You know why they try to tell you you only got one spiritual gift? That is to limit you into whatever you're going to do for God. Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 34 and 45, that he had all of the spirit to do all the work of God, whatever it needed to be. And so do you. As you develop the grace. Now, now when you got saved, you didn't know what God's going to do with you. And you certainly don't know what your spiritual gifts are. I would guarantee you that if you're really spiritual and you're really dialed into the Bible, you don't know what your spiritual gifts are. If you have discovered what your real true spiritual gifts are, that puts you at a disadvantage because everything you're going to think, you're going to cancel out everything else and just work around that. I don't know one person in that Bible, from Paul to Timothy to Titus to Philemon, that ever talked about their main spiritual gift other than the gift of them being in the, as a pastor, which is one of the offices. And it's a thing where you don't see Paul coming around and saying, well, this is what I do, this is what I do. You know what? He understood that the more he grew in faith and grace, God is going to take him places and put him places, and whatever God puts him and whatever place God gives him, God will give him the power to do that job. I remember in my own life, back when I first got right with God. I got right around April, May, and... Uh, it was that June or July that I went to camp, church camp, and I went out just to help. And I watched all these guys preach, and I had a desire and a burning to know the Bible like they did and a desire. And I'll tell you, I was really confused because here I was only right with God now about, uh, what, three or four months, and already I was facing the decision. So I thought, what does really God want me to do? And I remember going to Mel Sabaka, and I asked him about that, and he said, don't do nothing. He said, just keep doing what you're doing. When God's ready to reveal it to you, he'll reveal it. That was the best advice anybody ever gave me. 
And you know what? As I grew in grace and faith, there came a day in my life when God told me exactly what I needed to do. And whether you like it or not, or you think it's a blessing or not, Ephesians chapter 4 says, as a pastor, I'm a gift to the church. I'm God's gift to you in this church. And the only reason I got here to do what God wants me to do, that you know anything about the Bible at all, is because of the fact that I just didn't do nothing and I recognized three things. The local New Testament church was my structure and I never deviated it from it. I didn't do one thing that was outside that church. And I developed, let that church develop me in grace and faith and here I am. And you'll get to where, and I know exactly what my job is now. After almost 50 years, it is, it, it's been clear for the last 40 but you'll get to that same place in your life where you know what it is. There'll be no doubt in your mind. But it won't happen because you're out there flapping in the wind on your own. You know, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And, uh, you know, God's people today, they, they like to flip those terms around, but most of them don't understand it, couldn't explain it if you put a gun to their head. In the book of Galatians, you find there's nine fruit of the Spirit. It's not nine fruits, plural. It's nine fruits, singular, because all that fruit comes by one spirit that God gave you. And that fruit of the spirit is what God puts in your life. He, he, when you read that, he doesn't just give some one or two. You get all nine. And then we hear about the gifts of the spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. In other words, it all goes back to this. The fruit of the Spirit will be the development of grace and faith in your life through truth. As you grow, God develops you in those two areas and you bear fruit. As you grow, because God has put all things into your hand, He's going to take you up to different levels. You're not going to stay where you're at right now. I didn't. I have come so far from Camp Choff on that July week that I tell you what, I look over the balcony of the building that I'm standing on and I can't even see the ground that's been so many layers below me. And so will you. God will elevate you. He'll lift you. He'll edify you. He'll bring you to a point where you finish that good work that he saved you for. And you'll grow to the place where you, through faith and through grace, that you can do whatever God wants you to do. And you do that through the fruit of the Spirit. And when you get to that point in your life and God continues to take them up those levels, you know the next thing He gives you? He gives you the gifts of the Spirit. He'll give you everything you need to do the job. And this idea, as I said, this idea of, 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 of God just giving you a cup of main or this, it's just ridiculous. Because you got everything that Christ has and everything that God put in Christ's hands, He's put in your hands, and you got the ability, you got to develop it all. You have got to get into God's structure and you have got to develop and let God develop those areas of your life. And the, the fruit of the Spirit would be the will of God. That's being more like Christ every day. The gifts of the Spirit, that's the plan of God. That's what God's got for you to do. And whatever he, whenever you build the fruit in your life of the Spirit and you grow in grace and, 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 and all those things in your life, then he'll take you someplace to do something with you and that's when he'll give you the gifts. And whatever he sends you to do, you'll be able to do.
whatever he sends you, it won't be you deciding where you go. I want to make that clear. This is the problem of not getting into the structure of the church because you deceive yourself and you decide what you're going to do for God. And then you play the little game. Well, God told me this is what I want. You're out of your mind. You're deceiving yourself. There wasn't one man in the Bible from Paul to Timothy that they ever decided what they were going to do. It was the structure of the New Testament local church that told them because God spoke to the church because of their involvement in it and what they invested in it. The church said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas. It said Timothy had a good report among the brethren. That's where it starts. Because I'm telling you, telling all of us, you can't trust yourself. I can't trust myself. You know what? Because I'll do whatever I want to do and I'll make it sound like God wants me to do it. And I'll even convince it because it's winning people to Christ, it's doing this, it's doing that, and that all sounds like good stuff. Yeah, it does. But it has to run through the structure. And you don't get to decide what you're going to do. God will put it on your heart, and God will put it on the heart of a man that... When I, when I came to Kansas City, it wasn't my decision. And uh, it was a thing where God put it in the heart of the guy that trained me. And he told me it was time to go. And that's how it works. You don't get to decide that. You say, why not? Because you're crooked. I don't get to decide that. Why not? Because I'm crooked. I know me, and I know you. And when you get this bug in your ear that this is what you're going to do, well, you'll convince yourself that God's in it. It doesn't matter if you're hooked up with somebody that teaches heresy or you're hooked up with somebody. Or it doesn't matter because God isn't in it anyhow. So until you put that structure in your life, Just like Christ, all the teaching on spiritual gifts today only serve one purpose. That is to limit you to what God really wants to do with you. And just as there was no limit to Christ's power with God, there will be no limit to our power with God as long as we follow the protocol. Because we can't trust ourselves. I don't trust myself. That's why you've got to have a book. That's why you've got to have a pastor. That's why you've got to have accountability to somebody. I'm accountable to you, you're accountable to me, and you're accountable to each other. And you can tell. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. Now, now the devil's plan for the downfall of mankind was simply a twofold plan. One, obviously, he wanted to keep everybody from getting saved, keep them in his family, John 8, 44. And we saw that last week in a letter from hell, and you know, enough said. His number one goal was to damn every man, woman on this planet to the lake of fire ultimately. But he also knows that that isn't going to happen because some people are going to get saved. And so his plan then, the second part of his plan, that he allows you to get saved, but he doesn't want you to get too far from his family. Did you ever notice back in Exodus when the children of Israel wanted to leave, Pharaoh didn't want them to go? Pharaoh, type of the world, them a type of you and me, the child of God. You know what Pharaoh compromised? You know how he compromised? He says, okay. I'm going to let you leave Egypt. Just don't go too far. Stay close. 
Boy, that's right out of the devil's playbook too. Oh, you got saved. Well, you know what? Well, devil, I'm telling you what. I just got saved today, and I'm not going to the bars anymore, and I'm not going to do anything. The devil said, you got saved. Yes, I did. Well, I'm happy for you. You know, I, I, I'd like to do that myself, but I just can't live up to it. But I'm glad you got saved. Well, praise the Lord, brother. Now you're going to heaven. I won't go in hell. <laughs> but you know what? We need to stay close. Don't believe that thing that crazy guy says up there. Be your own man. Why, you don't have to get into that church and run everything. You don't have to do that. Be your own man. You know what? You, 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 you're not going to hell, but why don't you go to my church and use my Bible and listen to my music in that church? Just stay close. Just stay close. It's an old, another old throwback message that I had to preach to you sometime. I preached years and years ago, three-point outline, very simple. Be not deceived, be not disarmed, and be not discouraged. Boy, that's a good message for today. The vital aspect of your Christian growth. You know, in the book of Acts, which is the model for us, when a man got saved, he did immediately two things. Immediately. One, he got baptized. You don't find anybody in the New Testament church in the book of Acts praying about, should I get baptized or not? They got baptized. Now, I know right now we're kind of shut down because of the virus, but uh, we'll have a whole crew when the time comes around. But the first thing they did was to get baptized, and the second thing they did was join and identify with a New Testament local church, and that became the guidelines for everything they did. They allowed it to grow them to the full measure, take the grace and the faith, and exercise them. You saw it with Paul. You saw it with Timothy. And every one of here, you today, it's, you know, I watch you guys. You, some of you have been here 5, 10, 15 years now, and look at you. You're up to a full measure. We've got a whole host of young men and young ladies, moms and dads, that, that are on that same course that you're going to get there. And it's like I've said many, many times, you only get out of something what you put into it. And you got to where you're at today that you can take over my ministry. If I'm not here, you can preach. You can take Bible study. You can disciple people. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because you did something with what God gave you. And you allowed this church to develop your grace and your faith to the place where now you're there. You invested in the Word of God the Holy Spirit of God, and the New Testament local church. And it all depends on your investment of these two things that you have to put into your life. This chapter of John chapter 3 answers the questions. Why so many of God's people are so messed up today in the name of Jesus Christ. They pretend like everything is fine and their lives, their families are an absolute disaster. They pretend that they're doing everything the way it should be, except it's all in their mind. Because they like to, we all like to pick and choose what we want to do. And you like churches where you can pick and choose what you want to do. You like churches where nobody holds you accountable. Just like some of you, that's how your, that's how your son or your daughter got the person pregnant. They like being in a family where there was no accountability. 
That's why your kids get out in the world. They like a family where mom and dad has no accountability. And God's people are no different than that. Your children are God. So many of God's people like churches where there's no accountability. And of course, that's the way it works. It's the way the wind blows today. And that's the thing that the church has to be. It has to be there for you. But it has to have some structure to it. I mean, uh, you know, most churches that I look at remind me of the images down on the border. Utter chaos. Everybody just mingled together and nobody knowing what in the world anybody else is doing. And a lot of people are going to get hurt. In the judgment seat of Christ, a lot of God's people are going to get hurt simply because of the fact that nobody ever stood up and told them. This is the way it works. You got all of the Holy Spirit of God when you got saved, but you got grace and faith by measure. Now, the church is here to help you develop that, invest that, bring that along where you can be everything that God wants you to be. End of the day. Your choice, your decision. Well, we'll hold up there. Don't forget, hey guys, all you who are going to work with me in the missionary program, 